was so against coaching early on that I was adamant. I wasn't going to spend money on anybody telling me how to grow my business because I have Google. I don't need to, to, to pay for it. All the information I want, which is maybe true, but finding that information, really good quality information, sometimes is a needle in a haystack, right? There's a lot of bad information out there too. So I ended up paying mentors and paying coaches to help me. And like I said, I went and I, I made, I made a million dollars in profit that first year. So you tell me if it's worth it. I think it's totally worth it. A great book can totally challenge your conventional thinking and change your life for good. However, some of us just don't have the luxury of time of sitting down to read a book, but there are some instances in which we do have dead time. And these are perfect times to learn. So we can learn while driving instead of jamming to the same music on the radio or maybe at the gym, well, now you can. Dwelling has partnered with Amazon's Audible to give you, the Dwell listeners, a free book. Yes, a free book. So all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash dwelling and download your free book. This will also be in the show notes. You can click on the link. And if you don't have a book in mind and you say, Ola, I don't actually know where to start with. Well, awesome, because I can tell you what to start with today. It's a quintessential classic. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So download Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that would basically just take your mind on a different spin. Of course, I'm always open to hear um, from our Dwell listeners. So email me at ola at dwelling.com. And then feel free to also give us a, a rating and review. This really helps us to rank better in iTunes. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got the amazing Mike Simmons with us today. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Going good, man. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, yeah let's, let's, let's jump right into it. So, you know, for our listeners, yeah, just kind of tell us, you know, who you are, what you've been up to and kind of what you're doing lately, actually. Yeah. So uh, again, my name is Mike Simmons. Um, I'm a real estate investor from Michigan, born and raised. Um, grew up, you know, kind of in an automotive family here in Michigan. A lot of people are in the automotive industry. Uh, I was raised to think I need to go into one of the big three, right? Ford, GM, Chrysler, get a job, stay there for 30 years and retire. And hopefully I have enough money to live on the rest of my life. No, no entrepreneurs in my, in my life growing up. So it took me a little while. I didn't start going down the entrepreneurial path excuse me, until I was in my mid to late thirties before I actually got involved. So I kind of went down that, that, that automotive. And then I got my, my, my college degree actually later in life and started going down that, that corporate path and just realized I wasn't happy. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in the automotive industry. I wasn't happy. People who I worked with weren't happy and I just didn't want another 20 years doing that. So started researching, how do I get out of this mess and, um, found real estate and fell in love with it. And it took me a while. It took me, you know, four or five years to really start making offers and, and, and taking action. I was doing a lot of reading, uh, a lot of going to meetups and seminars and RIAs and things like that. And like people do, right. But I was sort of procrastinating. I was putting off getting started and taking the real risks because it was safe to just sort of read about it and, and read success stories. And I did that for way too long. And I, I empathize that. I know there's a lot of people out there who are, they want to get started, but they're afraid and they just keep putting it off and they make excuses. I did the same thing. Uh, but I realized that once I did take that jump and that leap and I, I bought my first property and I was a house flipper to start off, that 
it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. You know, the, all the things I was worried about didn't happen. In fact, uh, I had some success early on. I mean, it, it went, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes on my first deal, but I made $15,000. So go and make a ton of mistakes, learn a ton and make money on top of it. So, you know, I realized pretty quickly that I had control of this, unlike my nine to five job where I really didn't have control. You know, you go once a year and essentially you're begging for a 3% increase so you can keep up with the cost of living. And, and I have control when I'm out there finding houses and flipping them. So I really fell in love with it and dove in head first. And, and I, I made a lot of mistakes for a few years, even while I was making offers and doing deals and flipping houses, I still didn't really know what I didn't know. So I was making a lot of mistakes and finally got things figured out about five or six years in, and my, my business took off. I went from doing like a deal here and there to doing like a deal a month. And then within like five or six years, I was doing 10, 15 deals a month, every single month and just really, really took off. And, and there was a lot of learning that took place and I'm sure we're going to get into that, but um, there's just a lot people do wrong and they don't even know it. So they need, they need shows like this to help them understand what some of the things they might not be aware of. Yeah, and definitely this could be what, you know, that one show to kind of help us kind of dig in a little bit, actually. So can you kind of tell us specifically what kind of real estate strategy kind of where you're doing? Because like you, you scaled pretty quickly, right? Yep. Yeah, I did. I mean, it took me five years to really scale it at a real significant pace, but I started off as a house flipper and I did that for about six years, five or six years. I was a pure house flipper. Um, didn't even know what really wholesaling was and I had no rentals. Um, and then, so I started in 2008, around 2014, I started picking up rentals, slowly picking up a rental portfolio. And then in 2015, I switched my, my main strategy from flipping to wholesaling. I became more of a wholesaler. Um, what I realized was back in 2008, 2009, 2010, if everybody who was involved in real estate or old enough to remember real estate was in the, was in the tank. It was, it was terrible. We were, prices were dropping or was, was losing their house and it was, it was awful. But for real estate investors, it was actually a really good time to be a real estate investor because house prices had dropped. They were, you know, it's like buying a stock. Do you buy a stock when it's at its highest or when it's at its lowest, you want to buy it low and sell high. So you could buy low in 2008, 2009, 2010, but as years went on 14, 15 house prices were coming back up. Right? So, what I realized at that point was people who are flippers in my market and in a lot of markets around the country were starting to struggle to find deals. Whereas in 2008, 2009, 2010, like you could, you could fall backward into three houses that made sense. But when it got a little farther down the road, 2014, 2015, the MLS was drying up. There weren't a lot of great opportunities. So what I realized was all the people like me, house flippers, were struggling to find deals and we were all fighting over the same money. My thought was, if everyone is kind of looking at the MLS to try to find their deals, what if I start doing my own marketing, like direct mail and, and some other things to try to find these homeowners before it hits the MLS and get these under contract? I know a ton of people in my market who are dying for deals. Like I could start brokering these deals out. I didn't really know what it was called, but it was wholesaling. So my business changed from flipping to really more of a sales and marketing approach where marketing goes out homeowners call in, we send a salesperson out, we get it under contract, we sell that contract to a house flipper or a landlord. And, and it was great because 
you know, people say during the gold rush, right? Back in early history, during the gold rush, the people who got really, really rich were the people selling the picks and axes, right? So we sell picks and axes. We sell the opportunities for people to flip houses and buy, and buy rentals. And that's how our company has really exponentially grown over the last five years. Yeah, I was just laughing in the background. I love, love, love what you said, right? I really love that. So one thing, you know, I, I, I want to touch on is a lot of people that, you know, you see at meetups that say they want to start in real estate. The, the, the keyword is, you know, and what we see on TV, right? Back in the days, like buying real estate with no money down and, mm. you know, zero money. And, you know, but obviously you just mentioned sales and marketing and anybody that knows about sales and marketing knows that you do need money. Yep. So most people kind of, kind of, you know, go into real estate thinking, you know, I'm going to wholesaling and I'm going to make a, a bunch of money. My question to you is why do you think, you know, people fail at, you know, wholesaling? I think people fail at wholesaling for the same reason they fail at flipping or being a landlord or any, anything they really try losing weight. It's because they don't, they don't take massive action and, and stay and, and continue that. But in wholesaling, I think one specifically to wholesaling, I'll answer that question. Cause you asked me directly about wholesaling. I think the reason people don't succeed is exactly what you said. If you go online and listen to a lot of the guru websites, they'll tell you the best way to get into real estate investing is become a wholesaler because you can make a ton of money and you don't need any experience. You don't take any risk. You don't need any money, nothing, right? No knowledge. But the reality is I really believe that wholesaling. Now, let's draw a distinction between like you can wholesale without any money or any experience. Absolutely. But you're going to do it more accidentally than you will on purpose. In other words, you might find a deal two or three times a year, maybe once or twice a year, you may stumble across a deal that makes sense and you can monetize it and you don't have to really have any money or any experience. It's true. But if you want a business that has predictable results and predictable income and revenue, and you actually have a, a machine that, that it creates this, this predictable revenue, you better know something about house how about buying houses and what it costs and like you said marketing costs money now there are free ways to market you can drive for dollars and some of these things that people talk about for sure but driving for dollars is a is not easy to build a sustainable business on it's a little bit more random so when you want to talk about predictable revenue when it comes to wholesaling most wholesalers I know, and let me tell you something, I know hundreds of wholesalers from around the country and I know some of the biggest ones and they'll talk about driving for dollars and they'll talk about text blasting and things like this that are really cheap or free. But if you, if you get them alone and they're being really honest, most of them are getting most of their deals from direct mail and or pay-per-click, some sort of Google AdWord kind of a strategy. Now, those are definitely paid. You have to pay for those and they can get quite expensive. So some of the people that I know in, in, in real estate that are doing a hundred deals, deals, they're spending tens of thousands of dollars a month on marketing. They just are. They're not just driving around with a notepad and, and doing a hundred deals a year. They're just, it's not happening. They're, they're doing a lot of paid marketing. So, you know, I had a, I had a conversation. This is relevant to your question. And, and, and by the way, people, people lose money and fail at wholesaling because they underestimate what it takes. They underestimate the cost and they underestimate the knowledge that you need. Because if I'm going to go get a house for under contract and try to sell it to you as a flipper, if I don't know how you look at houses, if I don't know how to 
how to evaluate a house like a house flipper? How can I possibly know what to sell it to you for? And how can I have an intelligent conversation with you about this house if I don't even know what you do? Like I have no no knowledge. So me starting off as a house flipper uh, made me a much better wholesaler because I knew how to price it. And I knew how to like estimate renovations and I knew how to talk to you as a flipper. But I had a conversation with a, a family member of mine and they wanted, they were going to start flipping houses. They wanted to start this business. And they, they knew I was doing wholesaling. And we got into a debate and their, their argument was wholesalers don't deserve to make a lot of money because they're not taking any risk. And I said, really, you know, I'm not taking any risk. Let's, let's, de let's deconstruct this for a minute. I flipped houses, right? So as a house flipper, yes, I have to come up with the money to buy the house. That's true. But when I buy that house, the day I buy it, it's worth more than I paid. It, it has to be, or it's not a good investment, right? I start doing renovations to that house. So every dollar I put into that house should be worth at least $2 of, of, of value that I'm getting out of it. So as I'm spending money on the renovation, I'm increasing the value of the house as I spend money. So at no point as a house flipper, if I'm doing things right, at no point should I be over leveraged. I should always owe less than what the house is currently worth. How much risk is there in that? Very little if you're doing it right now. So that means there's really no risk as a house flipper in terms of like, I borrowed a hundred thousand, but the house is only worth 30. It doesn't exist. Right. But as a, as a wholesaler, me, my business, I'm doing hundred deals a year. I'm spending $30,000 a month on marketing. That's my marketing budget right now. Okay. I spend 30,000 on marketing in, let's just say September. I have no, no guarantees that that money will return more than $30,000. I don't. I have history and data that tells me it should because it always has. But in theory, I can spend money on marketing and pay-per-click and all these things, and I can get zero deals. I've had it happen. Zero deals the next month, right? Tell me that's not risky. Who, who out there is willing to take $30,000 and just throw it into the air and hope that it comes back as, as, a, as, a, as a revenue gain, right? So, um, um, a wholesaler who's at scale, okay, not a wholesaler doing one deal a year, like an at scale wholesaler doing 20, 30, 50, 100, 150 deals a year, they take tremendous risk. It's calculated risk, but there's no hard asset that's securing my risk, right? I'm risking $30,000 a month. If I get no deals, I'm spending another 30,000. Now I'm 60,000 in. Where's the guarantee? There's no asset that I can sell to get my money back like a flipper can, if a flipper gets halfway through their renovation and realizes they ran out of money or they screwed, whatever, like theoretically they can sell that house and at least break even, at least get their money back and pay off their investors, whoever they, they worked with. Right. So I say wholesaling is significantly more risky than flipping in my opinion. Wow. Never, I've never, ever, ever thought of it that way before. Yeah. It's really, really fascinating way to, to kind of really deconstruct that and talking about, you know, past history of performance and having this data to perhaps extrapolate, you know, what would happen in the future for you guys in your, in your business. I mean, for somebody thinking of, you know, being an at scale wholesaler, as, as you, as you call it, you know, if I don't, if I'm like a young kid and I'm just starting to realize that I'm 20 years old, I don't know. I mean, I don't have this intel that you have. And that's why I'm, I'm really big on, on mentors, right? So, you know, yeah. what are your thoughts on getting a mentor, being around people that, you know, kind of know what they're doing? How has that helped you? Or just kind of what are your general thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good question. So in my business, I told you I started in 2008. My business grew 
uh, very slowly from 2008 to 2015. So if you're looking at a chart of my business, I don't know if you got visuals here, but it would go kind of slowly up. And then at 2015, it goes almost straight up. So I wrote a book called Level Jumping. And the, the, the subtitle is how I grew my business to over a million dollars in profits in 12 months. Okay. So I was, I was doing about two deals a month in two in, in the mid 2015, 2016, I did over a hundred deals that year. And I did it specifically because I, I surrounded myself with the right people. I got coaching. I joined a mentorship uh, in a mastermind program that allowed me to get access to people who were, had much bigger businesses than I had and ask them questions about what they did. How did you grow to where you are? What things did you do right that moved the needle and which things did, didn't work for you? Which, what, you know, what mistakes did you make? And the group is called Seven Figure Flipping. So I joined it. I went from doing just a couple of deals a month to doing 10 to 12 and some months, 15 deals a month. And, and I eventually became part owner of the company. So I'm part owner of this mastermind now. So you asked me what I think of coaching and mentorships. I think it makes all the difference. I, I honestly, I was so against coaching early on that I was adamant. I wasn't going to spend money on anybody telling me how to grow my business because I have Google. I don't need to, to, to pay for it. All the information I want, which is maybe true, but Finding that information, really good quality information, sometimes is a needle in a haystack, right? There's a lot of bad information out there too. So I ended up paying mentors and paying coaches to help me. And like I said, I went and I, I made I made a million dollars in profit that first year. So you tell me if it's worth it. I think it's totally worth it. I'm a hundred percent in. I think, in fact, if you don't get coaching or join a mastermind that's real high quality with really, really high quality folks, if you don't do that. I don't think you're that serious about your business. I, I just don't, I, I, you can't be, you cannot possibly, you know, Michael Jordan had a coach. It's, it's the old thing that everyone always says. It's a cliche. I get it. But Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player that's ever lived, had a coach, Tom Brady, maybe the best quarterback that's ever lived has coaches. Like show me somebody that doesn't have a coach that's succeeded at a high level or a mentor. Good luck because they all have. So, I just think it's something you really have to do it because if you can use other people's hindsight as your foresight, the, the, the possibilities are limitless, totally limitless. The guy that was my direct coach when I joined the mastermind, he had the business that I wanted at the time. And it took him four years to get from where I was at that time to where he was. It, it was a four-year process. And I just sat him down and I said, listen, tell me what you did. Show me what, show me the roadmap. And he did. He said, this is what I did. This is all the things that moved the needle. These are the things I did wrong. And I, and I had this long conversation and I said, okay, if it took you four years to do this because you were just figuring it out as you, as you went, you had nobody helping you. Why can't I do that in a year? And he said, you can, you absolutely can. I just told you all the mistakes I made, everything that I did right and wrong, things that made a difference, things that didn't make a difference. And I gave you the keys to, to exactly what I did go do it. And I did. And that's how I got to by just following other people's footsteps, right? Just following the path that they took. It worked. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I know how to do it. And so if you surround yourself with the right people and you get the right coaches, the right mentors and the right mastermind, the sky's the limit. I really believe that. Level jumping. 
fascinating tie to, right? So, you know, you, you kind of got connected with the right people. You got a mentor, you got coaches, you have a mastermind. Yeah. Um, and then you saw that uptake, right? So of course, with that uptake from, you know, like you said, two deals a month to like, you know, hundreds of deals in, in a year, you know, I want to kind of step into that shoes of somebody thinking of starting, right? You know, they've got the, the, the determination, the, the resiliency that it takes to, to have a successful business. Yep. Well, kind of what are the things that you did at a tactical level in terms of kind of hiring and really scaling your business that quickly? And like, like let's, let's get into the weeds a little bit. What, what were the things that you did and what were the lessons that you learned? Yeah, totally. And, and you mentioned the, the name of the book, Level Jumping. I call it that because you know how, I don't know if you did this when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, I would go upstairs like two at a time because I was just a kid and I was impatient. So I'd like kind of go, you know, two steps at a time. I believe in business, you can do the same thing. People talk about going to the next level. Like I'm going to take my business to the next level. I say, why not take your business to the next, next level? Why not skip levels? If you can get help from people who have already been there, you should be able to skip levels. And that's why I named my book level jumping because I think I did level jump. So specifically get into the weeds. What did I do? There's, there's a couple of things that I did that made all the difference when you see that hockey stick growth or that, that, that trajectory of going straight up in, in 2015, end of 2015. There were three really big things. Number one, I learned that hiring is not a luxury and it's not something that only huge businesses do. Everybody needs to think about hiring in their company. Now, day one, can you hire? Probably not, but people wait too long to hire. I did it. My thought was, I'm not a big enough company to hire, but I knew that I couldn't get to be that big company unless I got help. Like I couldn't do it by myself. I, there's only so much time in the day. So I learned how and when it's appropriate to hire. And most people's first question is two things. How do I afford it? And number two, who do I hire first? Okay. So when it comes to afford it, we're lucky in the world that we live in now, people can work virtually for a lot of things that you're going to want them to do. And there's people in other countries, VAs from the Philippines and South America that work, they have a different pay structure than what we're used to here in the United States. So it's possible to hire a VA part-time for shockingly little money and be competitive in their market. So hiring VAs is one way you can do it. Another way you can do it, this is how I did it. One of the first people I hired was a salesperson. I hired him because I know... I'm okay at sales, but I'm not great. And I needed, I knew I needed a great salesperson because what did I say? In a wholesaling business, it's all sales and marketing, right? So if sales isn't performing at a high level, your business isn't going to really do that well. So I hired the salesperson, but he, he already had a job. He was a pharmaceutical salesperson. He had a full-time job as a pharmaceutical salesperson, and he had a local like sales route that he would go on. And he was really, really good pharmaceutical salesperson. So he had downtime in his day because he was really good at his job. And so he just crushed it and he had downtime. And he's like, hey, I want to learn real estate. I'll work for you. You only have to pay me if I get a contract and then you sell that contract. I don't need you to pay me a salary because I have a full-time job. I make a lot of money, but I want to learn and I'll just do it, just pay commission. So I hired him, paid him commission. What I found was if I went on five appointments myself, I would usually on average get one contract. That's just, that was just my number. When he went on five appointments, he would get two and sometimes three contracts out of five appointments. Now, when you're talking about real estate and we're talking about an industry where a deal can net you tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on your market, how much difference in my revenue do you think it made that he could double and triple my output as a salesperson? My revenue started skyrocketing when he took over, right? And, and I didn't have to pay him a salary. I only paid him when we got paid. 
right? So that's how you hire someone without having tons and tons of available cash flow. Now, who do you hire first? I told you I hired a salesperson because I knew I wasn't great at sales. But I say, when you're looking at everything that happens in your business, take a look at all the, all the, all the hats that you have to wear as the owner and identify the things that you're doing that you really don't like doing, that you just hate them. Because if you hate doing it, chances are you're not doing it well and you're probably putting it off, you're procrastinating and it's becoming a bottleneck. Like for me, I would do this marketing and it would produce phone calls and I wouldn't answer the phone because I didn't like talking to people. So I wouldn't answer the phone and it would go to voicemail. That's, that's mistake number one. When you generate calls through your marketing, answer the calls, don't let it go to voicemail, but it would go to voicemail. I would get the message, I would listen to it and then I'd go, I'll call him later. I'll call him tomorrow, right? So I lost tons of deals. So the other thing I did when I hired the sales guy was I said, you take the calls. I don't want to take them. You take the calls, you go on the appointments. He started setting more appointments than I would set because he was answering calls because he likes talking to people and he was going on appointments. So he, we were getting more appointments and for every appointment, he closed more of them, right? <clears throat> Skyrocket. That was one thing. So I, I hired uh, effectively and I hired for the position that was most important that I liked the least. Second thing I did well that I didn't know I didn't do before is my mentor taught me how to track my numbers, right? Before I knew money was coming in and going out, but I didn't know where I was making money and losing money. I didn't know what was working. I started tracking my marketing to know what marketing is working. What's the ROI of my marketing? How much marketing do I have to spend to generate a call, right? How many calls do I have to get to get an appointment? How many appointments do I have to get to get a contract? And what is my average contract value? Just those numbers alone were revolutionary for me. Because now, if I knew all those numbers I just said, I could say, okay, my average contract is, you know, $10,000. So how many contracts do I need to make a million dollars? And then I could reverse engineer the money I need to spend or the activities I need to spend on marketing. And I knew reasonably if I did those activities and spent that money on marketing, given my numbers that I historically have discovered, I knew how to get to a million dollars. And that's how I got to a million dollars. I knew what my target was and I just did it. So um, that was huge for me. And then, you know, learning to go from being a worker in your company, like doing the work day to day, and then pulling yourself out, hiring for that and learning how to lead people. That's a whole different skill set too. And people get really good at marketing. They get good at talking to homeowners or sellers and, and getting that contract. They get good at hiring contractors and holding them accountable to timelines and budgets. They get good at selling the property, but doing all those activities doesn't prepare you for leading people to do those activities. So once you start growing and scaling and you start hiring out some of these responsibilities, now you have to shift your focus from like a technician, someone who's in the job to someone who's like over the chessboard, moving the pieces around and being a good leader, being a good uh, trainer, being a good motivator. And that's an absolutely totally 100% different skill set than being an operator. I, I, I tell the story when I was in the automotive industry, they would routinely do this in the automotive industry. Time and time again, they would repeat this mistake. They would go into a department, let's just say the engineering department, and they would take the most talented engineer and they would pluck him or her out. And they would say, we're going to make you, because you're so good. We're going to make you the engineering manager. Now you're going to manage the whole department. It's a promotion. These people were good engineers. They're not necessarily good managers and leaders. And oftentimes, more often than not, they would fail because most engineers do not make good managers, but that's what they would do. 
and it was a mistake they made all the time. So you being good at building your business and doing all the things the day to day in the trenches doesn't make you a good leader. You have to spend as much time, energy, coaching, whatever it is, you better focus on being a good leader. Like you focused on being a good negotiator, a good man, you know, a, a contract hire, contract, you know, leading those people, general contractor, whatever, like whatever it is you did to make your company grow to that point. It's a different skill set to make it go to the next level or to level jump up higher. Wow, Mike, this is like gold. So powerful. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. That is just really, really good. I mean, before we kind of go into the quick runs, I, I, want, I want you to share one of your, what I'll, what I'll consider your favorite deal. It doesn't mean you made the most money, but just give us a story of the, one of the deals that you did in the past or lately that you really liked. Totally. So probably one of my favorite deals, I did make a lot of money, but it, it taught me something valuable that I didn't previously know. So we got a deal. Uh, when I say a deal, a property under contract, remember I'm wholesaling now at this point. So we're getting contracts and then we're selling our purchase agreement or signing that to somebody else. So we got this contract. It was in a neighborhood in Michigan. Uh, it's called Birmingham. So anybody who's in the area will know what I'm talking about. Birmingham, Michigan is a very, very nice, nice area. It's affluent. It's more of an A kind of a neighborhood, but we got the contract and we got it kind of high for a high price. And so in our company, there's a person, there's a, there's a position called dispositions. My dispositions manager is responsible for taking a purchase agreement and selling it to a house flipper or landlord. So I told my dispositions guy, so we got this contract a little higher than I would like. Go ahead and market it, but we're probably not going to make more than 15000 on this deal. Like, we'll be lucky if we make 15000 because we just didn't get it low enough. And he said, okay. I said, so don't expect a lot. And he said, okay. So we, we put it out there. We, we marketed it out to our buyers list and we marketed it. We marked it up so that we would make $15,000. Within 10 minutes, the phones started melting. Calls coming in like crazy. And he said, I've already got two full price cash offers, no inspection. They can close tomorrow. I said, whoa, don't accept them. Hold on, just sit tight. And he's like, okay. Over the next two hours, we got dozens of calls. And over the next 24 hours, we went from a profit of $15,000 to a profit of $75,000 it just got into a bidding war. People wanted this house really, really bad. And the person who bought it where we were going to make $75,000, I ran the numbers again. Now, remember I'm a house flipper. This guy was a house flipper. I knew what it would take to renovate that house. So I ran the numbers and said, there's no way to make money. He can't, this person cannot possibly make a profit if he's going to pay us this much for the house. So I don't go to closings because I have a team now, but I went to this closing and I said, listen to the guy who bought the house. I said, first of all, thank you for being a buyer. I appreciate it. I appreciate your business, but I have to ask you as a house flipper, former house flipper, what are you doing with this house? Because I, you can't make money as you can't flip it and make money. I know it's in a nice neighborhood. I get that. But even, even most optimistic scenario, you don't make money. And he said, you're absolutely right. I won't make any money. He said, however, I have a crew a contracting crew and I don't have any deals right now. If I don't get something for them to work on, even a break even house, they're gonna go somewhere else. I'm gonna lose them. So this, this deal, this house is like a bridge for me. It's just getting me from here to my next profitable deal. And I don't wanna lose my team. I wanna keep them, I wanna keep paying them so they stay around. And I said, mind blown. 
fascinating. I never even considered the fact that somebody would buy a house and spend too much just to keep a contracting crew busy. But that's exactly what he did. And from now on, I said to my dispo guy, never try to outthink what our buyers will spend and why. Everyone has different models. They have different like cost structures. They have different margins they have to maintain and different motivations. We don't know what they are. So you know, price it and let those prices, let them, let the market tell us what they're willing to pay. And, and I, I learned that lesson on that deal. And the market's going to definitely be bizarre as well. I mean, we're in the apartments syndication space. We buy apartments and yeah, like, you know, we'll look at a deal and we're like, there's no way we can pay, you know, 11.5 million for this. Like, it's just not penciling out. And then we, yeah, oh yeah, the deal traded for 12.5. I'm like, how? Like, you know, so you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I can keep on going and just talking with you, Mike. Thank you so much. But we're definitely, definitely dwelling into the quick round. Okay. These are going to be quick questions, quick answers. You ready, sir? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, first question. What makes Mike unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? Uh, I'm gonna say one of the things that makes me unique is I I don't have a huge ego. I can absolutely be honest with myself about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I think that's a benefit to me. Wow, that is such a great answer. Love that, love that. Second question, what was the last book that you read? What was the one thing you picked up from that book? The last book I read was called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Love the book. And what I picked up from it was that basically, no matter what happens in your business or even in your life, good or bad, it, it all comes back to you and what you could have done differently to change it. So finger pointing is not productive if you need to take responsibility for everything. And that's how you, that's how you do it. Wow. Final final question you've got obviously your business you're writing books you're you know you're doing a ton um, you got your family obviously what do you do for fun <laughs> well so for what i would do for fun it's funny you you asked that question i don't like i'm in michigan i don't hunt which makes me weird i don't bowl i don't go to the bar i don't do that stuff honestly i'm a movie guy i like watching movies so what the, the big splurge that i spend in my life is I built a theater room in my basement with stadium seating, 120 inch screen, full 4K projector. Like I spent a lot of money and time building an, a sick theater room. And nice. that's what I do to unwind and have fun and watch movies. Awesome. That is fantastic. <laughs> well, I've never, that's the first of the show. I like that. I like that. Um, so <laughs> if there's somebody listening and or watching this thing, oh, I really like Mike, or maybe I want to learn how to flip and I want to be an art scale wholesaler. Right? I really love that term. Um, really separates the boys, um, you know, from the men um, or, or women, obviously. Um, so if there's somebody listening and say, hey, I want to know Mike, get connected with you. Where's the best people who can reach out, get to know you more? Um, you can check me out. I, I, so I have a podcast called Just Start Real Estate where you can get more of me than you probably ever wanted. Or you can go to MikeSimmons.com and you can reach out to me there, contact me if you want to talk. And then if it's cool with you, I, I did write a book. I can offer your audience a free digital download of the whole unabridged version of the book if they want in digital format. If you just text the words, it's two words now. If you text the words, just start to the number 55. 444 I will get you that book for free you don't even have to buy it but if you want a hard copy go to Amazon by all means Mike thank you so much for that for that offer I really appreciate it thank you thank you thank you absolutely man it's been a lot of fun I appreciate you having me on you may have heard the phrase there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate 
well now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand believe it or a thousand podcasts and still going the best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine joe fellas joe talks to influential thought leaders we share the best advice ever with none of the fluff you've got to check this stuff out so listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com that's bestevershow.com